Welcome, everyone, to the Gospel House Podcast. This is Pastor Jeremy. We had a little malfunction yesterday and had a mini power outage right before the sermon started, and so it didn't make it to our live stream. So this is a podcast exclusive. Uh, I'm just going to teach what I taught yesterday, but this one's going straight to the podcast. Um, So buckle up. We are in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, in our Gifted Sermon Series. This is the Gifted Sermon Series, week 6. We're starting in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 14, and then verses 27 to 31. Paul says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of ministries in the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And then skipping ahead to verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you still a more excellent way. So like I said, this is week six of our Gifted Sermon series, and we've been really hitting on all the lists lately. Uh, We've talked about, last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit and went through that list. The week before that, we talked about the Holy Spirit's ministry, what some call the fivefold ministry, and we talked about that. And now today... Let's admit, this is what we've all been waiting for. If you've been in the church world for any amount of time, when we say we're doing a sermon series called Gifted, everybody assumes we're going to be talking about this passage from 1 Corinthians 12. We may not even know that it's from 1 Corinthians 12, but we know that Paul gives us a list of what the spiritual gifts are, what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. And if I'm being honest, when I first felt led to teach this, we had just finished our 2 Corinthians sermon series. I knew that we were going to end that sermon series talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, and it was perfect because it landed right on Pentecost Sunday. And I just thought this is a perfect time for us to launch into a summer sermon series on the gifts of the Spirit. Talk about that power that we walk in when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I really thought that I was going to be starting by preaching this passage from 1 Corinthians 12. But the Holy Spirit had other plans. Because instead of starting in 1 Corinthians, he started us in Ephesians because we had to lay this foundation. And I know that I've talked about this every single week, but it is so important that we lay our foundations because there are so many 
goofy teachings out there. There are so many teachings that even though they call themselves Christian teachings, it's not the gospel and it's not rooted and founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is one sermon series like that. We have to make sure that our foundation is laid first. We've got to be diligent in doing this, not just when it comes to the gifts, but when it comes to anything that we don't move off of our foundation. Our foundation being God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And in the context of this sermon series, hopefully we've hit on this enough, God is our greatest gift. It is God. If if God gave us nothing else, God would be enough. And we know this through the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, Tim Keller, I heard him say it best, but he said, Jesus Christ is the only human being in the history of mankind to whom God said, obey me perfectly and I will crush you and send you to hell. And Jesus obeyed. Now, let's be honest. If that offer were on the table for us, nobody's going to take that, right? But that's because we don't know God as intimately as Jesus did. Jesus knew God better than anyone else who ever walked this earth. And Jesus said, God, you alone are worth it. Even though you're not giving me anything, even though there's nothing in this for me personally, I know that you alone are worth it. And if Jesus said that, we can say that too. But thankfully, our story doesn't end there because we also, we don't, it's not just who God is for us, but it's also what God has done for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have a twofold gift. We have who God is, but then we also have what God has done for us. So it's not just that he alone is enough, but him being enough wasn't enough for him. Jesus Christ came down to earth. He laid down his life. He put down his crown of of royalty, his kingly crown, and he put on a crown of thorns. He carried his cross. He bore my sin and my shame and suffered so that I could forever be reconciled to God. That's what the gospel says. And then he didn't end there because then he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, God giving us these gifts in all three persons of the Trinity— God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working in us to help us work or live a perfect life just like Jesus did. So we cannot move past that foundation. We cannot. I know it gets really exciting talking about these gifts and the power and the miraculous and all of that stuff. People love those testimonies. But we cannot move off of the foundation. It has always been about Jesus, and it must always be about Jesus. Now, I personally consider myself, people like to ask me a lot what, what denomination we fit into here at the Gospel House, what denomination I fit into. And I don't know that I really have a, a denomination that I fit well into. Uh, I think all denominations hate me equally, which tends to mean I'm doing it right. Uh, but really, I consider myself a Reformed Pentecostal. I love doctrine. I love sound doctrine. I love sound biblical teaching. And as, as somebody who grew up in a, a Pentecostal church, I, I noticed that the doctrine isn't great in a lot of Pentecostal circles. We sacrifice doctrine so that we can lean heavy into experience, and I don't like that. But at the same time, I don't want to go so far into doctrine that we lose that experience and relational aspect of Jesus. You know, we put pit. 
We pit those two things against each other too often in the church. We say, you know, it's, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship with Jesus. You know, forget religion, forget doctrine. Or the opposite, you know, we say, no, we got to have sound doctrine. Forget the relationship. It's got to be sound doctrine. But the, the actuality is it's right, it's right in the middle. There's a healthy tension that has to be pulling us both ways on that while we walk through different seasons of life. But that's where I put myself. Because I want to see the power of the Holy Spirit move in God's church. I have seen the power of the Holy Spirit move in God's church. I want to experience him deeply as we run after Christ together. And I believe that those experiences with God, his presence being with us is so important. But at the same time, I am not willing to sacrifice sound doctrine to walk into an experience that makes me feel good. And that's where we stand in all of this. And, and really, that's, that's a biblical approach. When we look through the Bible, that's what God teaches us in his word. So let's talk about this gift or these gifts. But notice or remember that we're coming from that firm foundation. So today we're going to break it down three ways. We're going to look at the gifts of the spirit. Then we're going to look at the body of Christ. And then we're going to look at the purpose of all of this. So first, let's look at the gifts. Paul says this, he gives us the list of gifts. He says, to each one is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. First, I have to mention, I do not believe that this is an all-encompassing list of the works that the Holy Spirit can do through us. I believe that these might be the most common workings of the Holy Spirit through God's church. I believe this might be the ways that God has gifted his church through the Holy Spirit. But I do not believe that this is all there is to the Holy Spirit's power. And there's a reason for that. If we look through the Bible in Acts 8, we read a story of this man named Philip. He was a disciple who was baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He's one of the first evangelists that we see in action in this new spirit-filled church that we see in the New Testament. He proclaims the gospel to this Ethiopian eunuch that he meets along the road. And the Ethiopian eunuch immediately wants to be baptized and, and gives his life to Christ. And as soon as he is baptized, everybody's celebrating, but Philip, his celebration is short-lived because immediately God teleports him to this city called Azotus. But when we look at Paul's list, I don't see teleportation as one of the gifts, right? But it still happened. In the Old Testament, and listen, ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament too, right? Some, some Pentecostal churches get dangerously close to cutting the Holy Spirit out of the Old Testament by saying stuff like, the Holy Spirit first fell in Acts 2, and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came into the world. And that's not true. Again, we go back to that sound doctrine. The Holy Spirit has been here from the beginning. The Holy Spirit has always been in action. How we interact with him as believers changed after Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father. But the Holy Spirit has always been there. And in the Old Testament, we see him move through people. In 1 Kings 18, we see the prophet Elijah. He just calls fire down from 
from heaven and defeats the prophets of Baal. He prays for rain to end this three-year drought. And then after all of that happens, King Ahab gets in his chariot and is heading back to the palace. And Elijah tells us, the word of God tells us that the spirit of God comes on him and he outruns the chariot to get to the king's house before him. Now, when we look at Paul's list, do you see super speed? Do you see control of the weather or ability to call down fire from heaven? I don't see those, but it happened. And this might be my favorite, another one in the Old Testament, just because Christians tend to think this is so wrong. In 1 Samuel 11, Saul has just become the king of Israel, and the Ammonites are being real thorns in Israel's side. They're about to capture this Israelite town, and they give the townspeople two choices. They say, you can either die, we'll kill y'all, or you can serve us, you can become our slaves after we gouge out your right eye. Then you can serve us. Saul hears about this, and then the word of God tells us, the spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and he became very angry. I don't see anger in Paul's list. In fact, most Christians treat anger like it's one of the seven deadly sins. Christians don't get angry, but the spirit of God comes on Saul and causes him to become angry. In fact, anger is very much a godly response when in the right context and handled correctly. My point of, in all of this is this. We have to be very careful in saying things like, God only moves this way, or God only moves that way, or God only does things through these kinds of people, because that's not how God works. These manifestations of the Spirit listed here are God's gifts, but they are in no way the only way the Holy Spirit moves. We have to be so careful when we put God in boxes like that. Another warning, be careful not to define these things culturally. I have heard on more of one occasion, I'm going to jump on one of these in particular just because it's the one that I have heard interpreted this way most often. But when people talk about a word of knowledge, what, what is a word of knowledge? What is this gift that Paul talks about, a word of knowledge? And they say things like, well, a word of knowledge is when the Holy Spirit tells you something about someone's past and, and, and reveals this information to you that you would have otherwise not known. And then you can tell a person about their past that they, they know that God sees them and God loves them. And, and that's what a word of knowledge is. The problem is that's nowhere in the Bible. I've also heard other people say, well, a word of knowledge is when, you know, you're standing before a group of people and, and they're, uh, you're, you're, you know, about to have healing. And so God tells you like, oh, there's somebody in the room that's, that's got a, a massive headache right now. So anybody with a headache, please come up to the front and receive your healing. That's what a word of knowledge is. And the problem that we have here is that there is nowhere in the Bible where this list of Paul's is defined specifically. We get these lists, and then they're not really talked about. There's no, you know, Paul doesn't go on in 1 Corinthians 17 and tell us, 
You know, a word of knowledge is dot, 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 and goes on to explain it. He doesn't do that. And here's the thing that we need to remember. God is sovereign in everything. Sovereign is a fancy way to say God knows everything. God has planned everything. He is in control of everything. So when God put together his word, the Bible that we have today, the Holy Scriptures, he did so perfectly. So if there isn't a specific definition of these terms in God's word, God didn't want us to have it. And that may have something to do with putting the Holy Spirit in boxes, right? But the problem is man doesn't like that, right? We like to have clear definitions of things because I want to know when the Spirit's moving, if he's moving through a word of knowledge, I like parameters, I like to put boxes on that so I know, well, this is a word of knowledge, but now we're getting more into a word of wisdom. Let's stay in one lane. But that's not how the Spirit moves. The Spirit moves without boundaries, and we have to be willing to do the same. So when we look at these terms, the only thing we can do is, unless we have examples where we see these things in other places in Scripture, we just have to keep it simple. My old math teacher used to give us that acronym KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. And I think we've got to do the same thing with these. When we look at, well, what is a word of wisdom? Let's just take it at face value. What is wisdom? You know, what is a word of knowledge? What's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? I heard somebody say once really well, I like this definition, but knowledge is knowing. Knowledge is information, knowing something. But wisdom is knowing what to do with that knowledge in specific situations. So we really should be asking for words of wisdom and words of knowledge at the same time, right? Because we don't want to receive all of this supernatural knowledge from the Holy Spirit and then not know what to do with it. But a word of wisdom is simply that. It's wisdom from the Spirit. A word of knowledge is simply that. It's knowledge from the Spirit. And those can come in any manner of forms. I hope when I get up here and teach on Sundays that God's giving me words of wisdom and words of knowledge, that the Spirit is working through me as I do my sermon prep throughout the week to bring wisdom and knowledge to the people listening to these messages. The next one is faith. We don't have as much problem with that. But keep in mind, faith is a gift of the Spirit. Because there's teachings out there that teach us that it's our job to muster up faith. But can I tell you something? And this goes back into God's sovereignty. If God is in control, then the Holy Spirit gives you the gifts that he wants you to have when he wants you to have them. Let that sink in. Which means if you don't have faith... You know, you'll hear some people say, well, if you had had more faith, healing would have come. If you had had more faith, that loved one wouldn't have died. If you had just had more faith and believed. But here's the thing. If it's a gift, if it's a gift, then you didn't have faith for a reason. Jesus tells us that faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains, right? I don't consider that large faith. If you've got faith the side of a mustard seed, that leaves some room for doubt, right? But that's what Jesus said. And so are we going to believe him? It's not the amount of faith that we bring to the equation. It's the person in which we put our faith, in whom we put our faith. And that's Jesus. Then there's healing. There's miracles. There's prophecy. 
the distinguishing of spirits. Some people call that discernment. Some translations call it discernment. It just means I can recognize this is the Holy Spirit moving versus this not being the Holy Spirit moving. And then there's tongues and interpretation of tongues. The back half of those, after faith, we're we're usually pretty good with words of knowledge. We're good with words of wisdom. We're good with faith because we can keep those in the natural realm. We know what those things are. But then when we get into healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues, that's where it starts to get a little funky, right? Let's just be honest. And here's the thing. Christian, don't go out of your way to make the gifts of the Spirit weird. Now, we have to recognize there is a level to the gifts of the Spirit that are weird, and that's okay. Because here's the thing, it's called supernatural, right? If it was natural, there would be nothing weird about it, but it would also be natural. It's supernatural because it goes beyond the natural. It goes beyond what we're capable of doing by ourselves. But Christian, you don't need to make it weird. Let's be honest, tongues is a little bit weird, right? It's weird. It was so weird that the first time it shows up in the Bible in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, everybody around the disciples who were speaking in tongues thought that they were drunk. Now, I've got to point something out here because there's a, there's a lot of people who say, well, th- that tongues, it's, it's actually you know, people speaking in other languages. It's people, you know, somebody speaking Spanish who doesn't know how to speak Spanish. And I'm not saying that's not the case. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't do that. Again, I'm not putting boxes on him. But here's the thing. If somebody stands up in the middle of one of our services here at the Gospel House and he starts speaking in Spanish, no one in this room is going to be like, oh, he's drunk, right? There was something different enough on the day of Pentecost when these disciples stood up and started speaking in other languages that the reaction from the crowds around them wasn't, oh, wow, this is kind of weird. What a multicultural event. All these people are speaking different languages. That's not what they said. What they said was, these guys must be drunk. And then Peter stood up and explained, guys, we're not drunk, but this has been prophesied long ago in the Old Testament. This is what's going on. And explained to them what was going on. But in order for that to happen, we've got to let it be a little weird, right? And the reason it's weird is because it's out of our control. But that's a good thing because I don't want to control moves of the Spirit here at the Gospel House. And as Christians, as Christ followers, as church leaders, we shouldn't want to control moves of the Spirit. We shouldn't want to say like, well, the Holy Spirit can move as long as he does it this way, this way, this way, this way. That doesn't mean God moves out of order, right? That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is all about. God still does things through, with, with a sense of peace, right? He is, he's not, he, now it tells us, you know, our God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So it doesn't necessarily mean that there's always, go, that it's always going to happen, you know, again, in our boxes. It doesn't mean it's always going to happen in a box, but it does mean that God is always going to move in peace. And let me just hammer this one more time. When we, when we think of all of this, when we put all of these gifts together, when we talk about the supernatural and the weird and order and disorder and peace and all of that stuff, let me just hammer on this one more time. And I'm guessing it's probably not going to be one more time. Who runs the gifts? Do you? 
You don't, right? God does. God runs the gifts. And so if he runs the gifts, we've got to let him do it. We've got to let him run the gifts because ultimately this is his show, which means we have to let up control, which man really doesn't like. But when we're walking in the spirit, it's out of our control and it's in his. Paul actually says this, and it's, it's interesting because in this list that he gives us, he actually bookends it. He puts, puts a, a, a little clause at the beginning and a clause at the end just so that we don't miss it. He says in the beginning, starting in verses 4, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Before Paul mentions a single gift, he reminds the church in Corinth that no matter what gift you're operating in, it's the Holy Spirit who is running the show. That no matter what ministry you're walking in, God is the one who has called you to it and equipped you for it. And that no matter what end result comes from your obedience, God is the one working all things together for good. It's actually from Romans 8, 28. I'm borrowing from Paul from somewhere else, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind. And then after he gives us our precious list of all of our spiritual gifts, he reminds us one more time that the gifts don't belong to you. He says, but one and the same spirit, this is in verse 11, one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Paul reminds us again and again that these gifts don't belong to you. It is the Spirit working these things together. And he is working it all for God's will, not yours. Again, we get back into that sovereignty. If it is God's will for you to have one of these gifts, for you to operate in one of these gifts, then it's going to happen. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to work hard at it. You just have to lean into him. He is going to make it happen. God wants it to happen more than you want it to happen. And then Paul leans in and he gives us a familiar analogy from our time spent in Ephesians. He jumps right into all of these gifts working as a part of the body of Christ. Now, it's interesting because when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, most scholars think that he was actually in or at the church in Ephesus while he was writing this. So more than likely, Paul was teaching the church in Ephesus the same thing that he's writing to the church in, 1, or in Corinthians. And so we, we can see that when Paul then goes to write to the church in Ephesus, he again gives us that body of Christ image, but he doesn't go into nearly as much detail as he does in this 1 Corinthians passage. And that's probably because the church in Ephesus was already familiar with it. But it's a great illustration when talking about the gifts, because if we're willing to admit, so many times we in the church get gift envy, Right? And clearly it happened in the Corinthian church or Paul wouldn't have had to write this stuff. But it still happens today. I joked about this a few weeks ago, if you, if you go back and listen. But it happens so often, I see it with youth pastors in the church, right? The position of youth pastor isn't esteemed enough. 
it's not, it's not glorious enough. So youth pastor is used as a stepping stone to get to the position of lead pastor. But the problem with that is that means we have people who have been called to be youth pastors. That's the calling. That's where the anointing and power is. But they're not walking in it. And because of that, our youth suffer. Because there is no power and there is no anointing while you are walking outside of your calling. If God has called you to be a youth pastor, that's where the anointing and power is. Same thing happens. You know, we look at the worship team in churches and they get to play under the bright lights and they're like little mini Christian rock stars up there, right? Oh man, if I could only be on the worship team, then, then I'll have it made. Then I'll have arrived. But, but I, I'm not going to stay after service and help clean up. There's, there's no glory in that. I'm not going to volunteer down in the nursery and just watch screaming babies all day so their moms can sit in service and have a moment of peace. That's, there's no glory in that. No rock stars do that. Or this, this one is a personal favorite of mine. I have heard on more than one occasion, well, I just, I just have ideas, but God doesn't want me to actually do any of the work of implementing those ideas. And can I tell you, this is Jeremy, this isn't God, but can I tell you, for me personally, if you aren't interested in putting in the work, I am not interested in hearing any of your ideas. That's a personal thing. But ladies and gentlemen, if we are the body of Christ, we must be okay with the task that he has given us. And that's what Paul says in this extended analogy. We didn't read it today to save a little time. But Paul goes through and says, if, if you're a hand, you can't wish that you were a foot. You got to do your hand things. If you're an ear, you can't wish that you were a mouth. You got to do your ear things. And as an ear, don't try to do mouth things because it's never going to work. I gave this example yesterday. It might be a little extreme for some people, but it's a good example. Look, in a body, nobody wants to be the butthole, Right? It stinks, you got to deal with crap all day, and nobody wants to deal with it. But what if it doesn't do its job? It's not a good thing, right? The body, the entire body would get horribly sick if you just hold all that stuff in. Something's got to get rid of it. And someone has been called to do that role in the church. So whatever role you've been called to, do it, because that's where the anointing and power is. And after Paul gives us this imagery of how the body of Christ is supposed to operate, we get another little bonus. He gives us another list. It says this in verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. Now we talked about this in Ephesians 4 when we talked about the fivefold ministry. A lot of people like to make that an argument for positions within the church, right? And, and this church hierarchy or this church government that exists. Now, I will say this. 1 Corinthians 12 is a much better argument for that because Paul actually gives us 
These, the, you know, he lists these things off and says first, second, third. And when we look at those words in the Greek, they very much can mean first of importance is apostles. Second of importance is the prophets. Third of importance is the teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and etc. But in the Greek, it can just as easily mean that Paul is listing these things off chronologically. He could be saying that apostles, the apostles existed as gifts first, and then the prophets came after them, and then the teachers. He could also just be saying, this is just a list, and I'm just numbering them off, kind of like I do every Sunday. I've got my three main points, but some Sundays, the points, the order they come in, it doesn't really matter, just as long as you get the three main points. Paul could be doing that too. The point is, let's not make mountains out of molehills. And I made a concession yesterday. I'll make a concession with you listening now. If you do want to make this list a positional list, that's okay. I think God will allow you to do that. I will allow you to do that. Apostles are the most important. Prophets are the second, third are the teachers and so on. But let me give you a sober reminder from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He who wants to be first in his kingdom must become last. So if you want to wear the big boy pants, if you want to put on the crown and you want to be number one, you better be ready to carry a heavy cross. You want to be that uber leader that everybody in the Western world wants to be, that everybody looks up to, then you better grab your towel and serve. And I am not talking about servant leadership. That's not what I'm talking about here. I am talking about loving like Jesus. Because those to whom Jesus gives the most authority in his kingdom, they always carry the heaviest crosses. They are the first to suffer and die to self. They are the first to serve those around them. And they are the last to get what they want. And the first to give up everything so that everyone around them can get what they want. This is not servant leadership at all. I've read too many books advocating servant leadership and this isn't it. This is complete and utter selflessness. So go ahead, strive for that ultimate position, but know what you're signing up for in doing so. Because ultimately, it's not about the gifts or the body part or the position. It's about whose body to whom we belong. And Paul says this in verse 24. He says, but God has so composed the body. God has composed the body. This is the ultimate my body, my choice. Y'all, this church isn't your body. So when you decide to follow Jesus, you don't get to choose what body part you are or which part of the body you're going to serve. It's his body. This church, the gospel house, is part of his body. So while it's good for us to do Christian stuff, it's not if God's not telling us to do it. You know, we can sit here and want to be a church of prophecy and miracles, you know, where people show up on Sunday and people get healed and there's all these public prophecies given. And we can want that until we're blue in the face. 
But if that's not who God has told us to be, if that's not part of the body that he wants us to be, then we're running the wrong race. The same goes for us individually. If God has called you to the ministry of administration, then do it because that's where the power is. But don't run after being a prophet because you think it's sexier. Accountants aren't cool, but prophets get to tell people what to do. Stop. That is man's way of looking at things. See, we get so focused on man's way with the gifts and callings and ministries that we miss where the real honor is. Man says kids ministry isn't prestigious enough, right? You got to be the lead pastor. That's the only way to be prestigious. You know, singing and playing guitar up here on stage, that's way cooler than kids ministry. But God doesn't say that anywhere. You want to be really humbled. The God of all the universe has called you. Jesus Christ, guys, this is the God who spoke and the heavens came into existence. He simply spoke a word and that word was powerful enough that the universe is still expanding. The God of all the universe thinks so highly of you that he has hand designed you to function as part of his most holy body. He chose you to be a foot. He chose you to be a hand. He chose you to be, I apologize, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this, but an erector pili. Those are the muscles that control the hair on your arms that give you goosebumps. I actually Google searched what's the most useless part of the body, and that was what it told me. But see, Google got it wrong. Google's looking at that man's way. Because while man might say, well, I mean, you know, getting goosebumps is, is nothing like your brain. It's this highly functioning organ. If God made you to do that, then that is where the power is. That's where the anointing is. He chose you for children's ministry. He chose you for youth ministry. He chose you for local outreach. He chose you to disciple those people you work with at Taco Bell. He chose you to disciple those people you work with on cars. Stop trying to get someone else to do it. Stop convincing yourself that you're not good enough. Stop convincing yourself that the position isn't good enough. Are you hearing this right now? If you want to be humbled, stop focusing on what comes after and listen to the setup of each of these sentences. Three words. God chose you. Because ultimately, that is his purpose in all of this. It is the purpose in all of these things. Paul starts 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 3, with this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Every gift, every ministry, the fruit, the works, all of it 
It all points to Jesus. This is the purpose of it all. Genesis through Revelation, every single book of the Bible, every jot and tittle, as the King James Version says, it's all about Jesus. But I think this is where we most often go wrong when it comes to things of the Spirit. I would be willing to wager a fairly hefty amount of money that those of you who have had bad experiences with the church, those of you who have had bad experiences with the Holy Spirit, it's made you a little gun shy whenever we talk about the power of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. I would be willing to wager that the reason you've had bad experiences is because someone has said this is a work of the Spirit and then they have done it man's way. They have said, well, yes, we're, we're filled with the Spirit, but then they've walked man's way. And those workings of the Spirit, that power of the Spirit, hasn't pointed you to Jesus. Can I assure you, can the Holy Spirit, through Paul here, assure you If you walk away from what someone calls a move of God, thinking more about that person than Jesus, there's something goofy going on there. And let me tell you, it's not always the minister's fault. It's not always the person walking in the power of the Spirit. Sometimes it's you that's the problem. We love our leaders, right? Because they have to make all the decisions, But then we become dependent on those leaders to show us what a move of God looks like when the Spirit is more than capable of showing you on His own. But the same goes for leaders. Leaders are in danger of drawing attention from their flock instead of pointing to the Spirit. They're pointing to to Jesus. They draw that attention to themselves. I heard uh, Jeremy Riddle has a book called The Reset. And in that, he talked about worship leaders specifically. But he talked about how they're in danger of becoming adulterers. Because Jesus Christ is the husband and his church is the bride. And we stand there and we pull the attention of Christ's bride away from the groom, Jesus, and onto ourselves. And I never want to be in that position. You know, it's interesting Because the Holy Spirit, I've I've noticed this a lot in certain church circles, but people will refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, or the Holy Spirit is just a power. But the Holy Spirit is a person. But it's one of my favorite things, because really what that shows us when so many people refer to the Holy Spirit incorrectly, is that the Holy Spirit is so good at doing his job. That when we look at the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't say, look at me. He points us to Jesus. So when we look, we don't see him. We just see God the Father. We just see Jesus Christ. So Christian, can I ask you, are you doing your job as well as the Holy Spirit is doing his? Because you know what? If you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, If you are walking 100% dependent upon the Holy Spirit, I promise you, he is not going to let you point to yourself. He is going to use you to point everything to Jesus.
This is the purpose of everything the Spirit does. And if it's not your purpose too, you will never get any of this stuff right. God has called you. You've heard this over and over again in the sermon series. Maybe we should have called it the called sermon series instead of the gifted sermon series, but it's too late now. But God has called you to do what only you can do. And he has called you to do it, to point others to Jesus. No one else can point others to Jesus the way that you can. This is how we point people to Jesus. By walking in the Spirit and allowing Him to do it perfectly in us. So if He has called you to be a prophet, then go be a prophet. If He has called you to be an evangelist, then you go be an evangelist. And look, if you want to call yourself a prophet and evangelist while you do it, do it. You can tell everybody. Tell everyone who God's called you to be. I'm not against that. The Bible calls people prophets and evangelists and apostles and everything else. But whatever you do, do not despise what he has called you to do because man doesn't hold it in high esteem. Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus Christ himself was not held in high esteem. This is a, a prophecy given of who Jesus was born to be. And it tells us that there was nothing attractive about him. There was nothing attractive about Jesus that drew us to him and that we esteemed him not. The culture in which Jesus lived didn't think anything of him. But look at what he did. Jesus Christ perfectly walked in the calling God placed on him and forever changed the history of mankind. The same power, the same anointing is there for you, but you must walk in what Jesus has called you to. And now a little cliffhanger for next week. Paul ends 1 Corinthians 12 this way, and it'll walk us right into our sermon next week. And I show you a still more excellent way. The best is yet to come. Amen.